We have been in the book of Romans. By the way, I understand that this mic isn't working, so I'm not going to do shuffling around as much as usual. I'll try to keep myself still. Um, We've been studying Romans uh, beginning back in verse 12, uh, and now we're coming to the end of this amazing chapter. I'll read beginning with verse 31 just to remind us all of the context, but we'll focus on verses 35 through 39. Verse 31 on 944 in your pew Bible. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who should bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Oh Lord, bless us that we will know your word, that we will know you all the more, believe you all the more, be comforted and strengthened in you, encouraged in you, given hope especially in you, oh Lord, and the love that you have for your people. Oh, do this, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, kids, got three words, all right? First one is grizzly bear. The next one is counterpunch, grizzly bear, counterpunch. And the final one is sharpie. Yeah, like a sharpie. Okay. Grizzly bear, counterpunch, and sharpie. Now, you see my title. Usually, you're invited to a Q&A session, right? There'll be questions, there'll be answers. And so, we just have an added letter, Q&A and R, because... Paul asks a question in verses 35 and 36. He answers the question in verse 37. And then he gives a reason for his answer in verses 38 and 39. So, Q&A and R. There we have it. First, the question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Later in verse 39, who will be able to separate us? It indicates that any of these things threaten to separate us from God's love. Some have that as their very goal to separate us from God's love. 
Christ not only intercedes for us as we read, but he sustains his people because of his love. He intercedes for us because of his love. And that intercession means that he will sustain us on earth. His fierce love is a sovereign power that protects his people. Because that's the emphasis. What shall separate us from that sovereign love, the power of that love? Do you think he died for them, that he's going to lose them? I've been flogged by a mother hen when I got too close to her chicks. Uh, mother buffaloes, Cape buffaloes, have been known to gore lions that got too close to their babies. The divine talons and the divine horns are always there to protect his little ones. God always rides shotgun for every one of you. He's your personal bodyguard protector. Nothing will separate you from his love. Psalm 23, we are familiar with, the Lord is my shepherd. But one man gives an account of being in Israel last century, early in the century, and he said, these shepherds have nothing of the kind of look you would think about them. He says, they have a long rifle hung over their shoulder. He said, they have a dagger and heavy handguns in their belt. They carry an axe or an iron club in their hand. And he says, with their fiercing, flashing eyes and their scowling countenance, countenance or face, they let you know they are more than ready to attack anyone that tries to mess with their sheep. The Lord is our shepherd. And you get some of the feel of Christ in John 10 where he says, these are my sheep. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. They're mine. I love them and I will protect them. That's the feel of Romans 8 here. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. It is sovereign love and sovereign protection. It's interesting that this whole section, in fact, I forgot and didn't read chapter 5, uh, as a context, but the, the whole section begins in chapter 5 and ends in chapter 8. And in both sections, the word tribulation is used. It's the only time used in 5 through 8 to show that this is the enclosure for this, uh, this section. And in both sections, he begins with hope that is given because God loves us. And he ends with the hope that we have because of God's love. So this whole, the five through eight, are about the hope that we have because of the wonderful sovereign love of God. And it's interesting, he lists seven items in verse 35 and 36. And seven is a whole number. It's a complete number. It's a way to say not just the seven, but any and all things. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing at all. Motives and being governed by motives is very important. One of my favorite tumbleweeds, some of you may know that comic, has three, it's a daily, so it just has three boxes. First box, uh, it says, 
warning, grizzly bear country ahead. Second sign, do not pet the bears. Third sign, because a patronizing attitude could demoralize them. <laughs> you have to think about that one. But, of course, you don't want to pet them because you'll get killed. But here's this motive, this demoralizing uh, grizzly bears because you have a patronizing attitude to pet them. And it was interesting how the Mormon missionaries that visited me were demoralized by my motive. They, we got to talking, they were in my home that I grew up in, and in our conversation I said, well, I believe I'm loved by God and my sins are already forgiven. And they looked at me strange. And they said, so why do you obey God then if you're already going to heaven? Their idea is I don't know if I'm going to heaven and I got to keep working and working and working, hoping that I'll go to heaven. They could not understand the motive of love. My motive of love in a sense, demoralized them because they had no reason to be moral anymore if it was simply love. But God's everlasting love in Christ is what persuades us. It's what entices us to him. It's what animates us. It's what energizes us and spurs us on is this love that we have in Christ Jesus, even though we are sinners in ourselves. We have hope because of his love and favor that's already given to us in Christ Jesus. And then he quotes from Psalm 44, which as you read the psalm, you realize that these are people who are faithful to God. These are people who have not abandoned God. This isn't, uh, this isn't uh, suffering because of disobedience. And that's why they're crying out to him that we're killed all the day long. For your sake we are killed, in spite of the fact that we've been faithful. And certainly under the name of Christ, of, of Christianity, there are many so-called Christians that have done terrible things through the years. But another critical aspect of our history is that we have sought to live out and proclaim the love of Christ and believers have suffered because of it suffered because of their very loyalty to Christ, suffered because of the dangers they've encountered as missionaries and witnesses for Christ. And some of us have maybe not suffered in those ways, but suffered rejection, suffered abandonment, suffered loss of friendship. And Jesus assured us in John 15, he says, if they hated you, remember, know that they hated me before they hated you. If you were still in the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I called you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And you get the picture. They hate Christ. But if you're of the world, you're on their side. They love you. Now you've gone to be with Christ. Now they hate you. That's the picture Christ has given us. To assure us, as you stand for me and you're rejected, it's because they reject me. 
And there's a fellowship in that, right? There's an ownership, belonging to Christ in the midst of it. And so Paul said earlier in this chapter, we will inherit with Christ if we suffer with Christ. That's our fellowship that we have in him. And this great promise, in all of this suffering, nothing will separate you from his love. So he asks the question, uh, who shall separate? And verse 37 is the answer. No, no one will separate. Because in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In other words, so far from it being possible that we'd be separated, it is actually, as these translations say, winning a most glorious victory or an overwhelming victory is ours. A sweeping victory is ours. It's a remarkable statement in the face of this terrible loss and the possibility of being separated. He turns the whole thing around. He says, no, this is the atmosphere or the occasion of surpassing triumph for you as a believer. Might not feel that way, but that's what it is, he says. In fact, the word he uses for conquerors is hyper-conquerors. Conquerors on steroids, okay? Super-conquerors. We know hypertension and hyperventilate and hyperactive. We know hyperspace. We remember how Han Solo warns Luke when Luke is impatient to jump into hyperspace. He says, hey man, it's not like dusting crops out there, boy. You could, you could fly through a star or land next to a supernova. What's that going to do your, to your trip, right? But we are hyper conquerors. And it's because, notice, of him who loved us. It's because of him who attends us and keeps us. We can't keep ourselves, but his love keeps us. His keeping us makes us hyper-conquerors, more than conquerors. In all these things, notice... Not avoiding these things, not being spared these things, but in the midst of these terrible things that may happen to us. Even as we are going through them and experiencing them, we are more than conquerors. And this goes back to verse 28 where it says, all things will work together for good. It's not that you'll just get through these things. They will actually work for your good. You will be more than a conqueror in these things. It's not just escape, but you come out further than where you were. Trials are like a moving walkway in the airport. It's a time of advancement, not retreat. Not a holding position, but an advancing position when we go through trials. We counterpunch in trials. You know, many fights in when one guy leaves himself open trying to swing and he misses in the counterpunch and he's out. It's a great picture for what happens. And all these evils that come against us, we're given by the grace of God and upheld so by the love of Christ that we actually counterpunch. We grow in the midst of what's supposed to destroy us. That's a believer in trial. Evil forces seek to ruin us. 
but we become more than conquerors. And so suffering, persecution, this is, these are not just evils to endure. As one is written there, the scene of the overwhelming victory which Christians are winning through Christ. We grow in Christ-like love, sometimes especially when we go through these difficulties. And again, I've quoted it before, but this is why. Take note of the title of Piper's book, John Piper, Don't Waste Your Cancer. Don't waste your trial. Don't waste your persecution. Don't waste your difficulty. This is the time to become more than conquerors in the midst of that. The Macedonians certainly showed this this as Paul's writing to the Corinthians, trying to help them be prepared for the offering that's being taken up around the Mediterranean for the impoverished Jerusalem church. And so he calls, he, he sets the Macedonians before the Corinthians as an example to follow. And he says, uh, the Macedonians, in a severe test of affliction, in their extreme poverty and yet abundance of joy, they've overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Now that's an odd combination. In their extreme poverty and united with their joy, it overflowed with a generosity. Think of the woman that Jesus pointed out when all the big gifts are being put in the treasury and she drops two pennies in and he points her out. said she gave more than anybody because she gave all she had. And from the context, you can tell Paul is saying to them, you're poverty stricken. You, You don't need to give anything. And he says, they begged us. They pled with us. Let us give. Let us give to our Jerusalem brothers and sisters. And they were abundantly joyful. Well, you see, that wealth of generosity couldn't have happened outside of their extreme poverty. That's when we demonstrate the love that we know in Christ and can spend upon others in Christ. A remarkable passage is Revelation 12, verse 11. It says, they have conquered him, that is, conquered the enemy, conquered Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. A conqueror is said of a martyr. It doesn't mean that he conquered like he won the election and all the Christians ran the the country, right? That's not it. They conquered because they did not love their lives even to death and they were put to death because of their witness in Christ. That made them conquerors. They remained steadfast in their trust and commitment to Christ. Just as Jesus did, remaining steadfast in his love of God and love of his people, even in the midst of the horrible suffering on the cross, bearing the sins of his people, this obedience and love that he showed was a pleasant aroma to the Father. And he won our salvation And we become conquerors as we live out that same love, no matter what the cost is. So conquering has a particular look for Christians. 
Then he ends with the reason. So the question, then the answer in verse 37, and then four. There you go. What's the four for? Therefore, because, here are the reasons. Here's the reason. I'm sure, and he names ten things here. Again, it's a whole number. It shows no matter how many things you come up with, there's nothing that can uh, separate us. It's comprehensive. Can anything, nothing can, nothing will, neither time nor space nor any power found anywhere. He mentions death probably first because he just talked about it uh, in verse 36. Uh, We're being killed. We are put to death all day long. But death can't separate us. Then he mentions angels. These are evil angels. He mentions rulers and powers. These are the... uh, the, the, the terrible assemblies around Satan, as one commentator puts it, the terrible assemblies of powers uh, gathered around Satan to do his will. And these, these powers and, and authorities have been disarmed by Christ, Colossians 2, by his death and resurrection, they were disarmed. Then they were subjugated under Christ, Ephesians 1. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 15 says, he will finally destroy all these powers. So just think of it. As you're facing these powers for temptation to draw you away from Christ, They've been disarmed and subjugated, headed for destruction in the end because of the work of Christ. You can understand why Paul could say later in Romans, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Not just crush Satan, but crush Satan under your feet. He will use you now and in the final day as part of the judgment and crushing of Satan. All the more, these things are not going to separate you from the love of Christ. And it's interesting where the word powers is situated because he says things neither neither present or to come. And then after height or depth, that's a way to say no matter when, no matter what or where, the evil powers that are against us cannot touch us and cannot tear us away. Anytime, anywhere, you are protected. The greatest evil ever was the crucifixion of Christ. It was the ultimate attempt to act as gods and lords of creation, to ruin Christ himself. But even in this, the powers of evil ultimately acted only as servants of the sovereign God. To accomplish his will, to put his son to death. In fact, they're ruined by the very cross they erected. And now that God has acted to redeem us and bring us into his everlasting favor and blessing, these forces are powerless to take that from us. We are hidden with Christ in God. Paul says in Colossians 3, it's too late. You can't touch God's people. They've been bought and redeemed and they are safe with Christ. There's nothing you can do to hurt them, even if you kill them. And those who they attempt to kill or they do kill will actually participate in the judgment of those spiritual forces that have killed them. 
Paul says, don't you know, 1 Corinthians 6, that we will judge the world? Don't you know that we will judge angels? And when these things come against us, and they may do terrible things against us, Revelation outlines some very difficult things that the people of God will go through at one time or another in their life, in the, in the history of the world. But it's just a matter of time until Christ comes and redeems and they are glorified in him and made mighty in him and participate with him in the judgment of the world. This can give you confidence, confidence to resist, confidence to trust in the great love that upholds you. And the final word creation just relativizes everything else, right? You're talking creator, creation. Infinite, unlimited power, creation that has to be upheld by the power of God. Even these spiritual forces, brothers and sisters, they have to be upheld by the power of God. Can they come against you without his D desire or without his overrule when he's the very one who rules all things and sustains everything on the earth? No, he will keep his people because he loves them. His love is what keeps them. And they live for him and his love. They suffer the loss of everything for his love. What it means to them, how precious it is to them, what it has in store for them, the promise of its blessing. Nothing can break them loose because he will not let them go. And that means they will not let go. They will not stop, in, stop entrusting themselves into his gracious hand. They are controlled by the love of Christ. His Love will not allow them to be separated. And as he puts it here, the love of God in Christ Jesus, we must see in Christ's love the very love of God himself for us. And we must see that you will not see the love of God anywhere else but in Christ. It's there and only there, only in relation to Christ can we experience the true love of God. Because it's there that he manifests his love. And this is the basis for everything we do. This love redefines all of life. It redirects all of our life. All of the history for believers is determined by the love of God in Christ Jesus. So in all of the change and insecurity and upheavals and disappointments and tragedies, his love fixes us and makes certain over that, that we have a certain future and it controls and oversees all things. And there's no doubt about it. It's not like a card I once gave Kay several years ago. And it read this way on the outside. Sometimes when you're asleep, I stare at you for a minute and I think how beautiful you are, how lucky I am and how much I love you. And you open it up and it says, and I never even consider writing on you with a Sharpie. Right? Of course, you go to bed with one eye open, you know, like you're thinking about writing on me with a Sharpie. You see, God's love leaves nowhere for us to doubt anything about being secure in that love, no matter what the circumstances, because Christ has died for us. 
And it's amazing that our rebellion against God so ruined us. It's like, you, some of you have read about this, uh, uh, certain parasitic wasps, they, they, as adults, they feed on nectar, but their babies need more substance. So, they will lay an egg on a particular spider. They're different, wasps do different spiders. They lay an egg on the spider, hatches, and you've got the larva. And you can s- see pictures of a larva sitting on the back of a spider. And they start feeding off the juices of the spider, but then, in a little while, they start injecting some of their DNA in the spider, and they readjust the spider's brain. So instead of spinning a web like he normally would, the spider forms a cocoon in the middle of his web with him in the inside. And then the larva eats the, I'm sorry, this is gross, kiddos, but eats the non-vital organs first to keep it alive the longest, and then finally eats the vital organs, and then it becomes a wasp, fully kills, and then it enters out as a new female wasp. You girls are bad. (laughs) Not as bad as a praying mantis, but we won't talk about that. (laughs) But you see how what this wasp does changes, transforms the spider. And that's what sin has done to us. When we turned against and abandoned the God of love, look what we did to each other. War and murder and assault and theft, adultery, abuse, sexual abuse, hatred and prejudice, slander, anger, pride. We could go on and on. We're riddled with evil toward each other. We abandon the God who is love. Look what we have become. Sin kills us. It redirects our lives to live for ourselves ultimately, to turn away from God, to reject His love, reject His Lordship, make up other gods, other goals, and other passions instead of Him, which in the end ruins us and lands us in everlasting judgment and loss. But the love of God in Christ, revealed in Christ, wins us back to our true humanity in the image of God, being other-centered like God Himself, finding our joy in giving ourselves away, even as God does. That's what salvation is. Saving us from living under the parasite of sin. And being free to be true human beings in the image of God with other directed love. And I would urge you, if you don't know Christ, don't ignore this love of Christ. The love of God that is shown in Christ and his sacrifice. God is a hero who sacrifices himself. We give medals to people for that. God himself has infinite glory because that's the kind of God he is. This passage begins with the Lord Jesus Christ and it ends in a mirror image, Christ Jesus our Lord, to show that everything is in him 
And it is only in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank you for giving us your own son. Giving him up because you so love the world. Lord, we thank you that you've drawn us to yourself. Else we would never have come to you. We praise you for your kindness, for your mercy. We praise you that we can know you and own you as our God in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, equip us, strengthen us, plant us ever more deeply in the precious love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.